0: There are a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL draft this year. My name is Danny Kelly, and I host the Ringer NFL Draft Show with Danny Heifetz, Ben Solak, and Craig Borlbeck. We cover trades, free agency, and the draft, obviously. We'll tell you about everything, including which quarterbacks are good, which quarterbacks are not as good, and which quarterbacks are just Kirk Cousins. Search the Ringer NFL Draft Show on Spotify.
1: Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett joining us now. He is back. It is Kevin Hench. Hench, thanks so much for coming back on, man. Last time we talked, the Red Sox were in a bad place, and they're still in a bad place. How are you, man?
3: (laughs) I don't know. It's not. I'm good. Thank you for asking. Uh, Somehow, it's not as bad being in a bad place when you're barely trying as poor Yankee fans who've been trying their asses off and getting their asses handed to them constantly. So it's like uh, it's not we got so spoiled, we're not used to barely trying and it's obviously breaking breaking our brains as Red Sox fans, but I mean, the Yankees have just been spending like crazy and getting getting the same uh results. It's like finishing 4th and 5th, there's no real difference there. I, I I uh and then the team that you finish 23 games behind adds Corbin Burns.
1: Yeah, which that is scary to me because if you think about that Orioles team, they have one of the best farm systems in Major League Baseball. They get holidays kids on the way, who's the number one prospect in the entire sport. Of course, they make it to the postseason last year. The one issue they've had is their ownership group. I mean, going back to when my buddy or I, I, I shouldn't say my buddy, but I graduated college with a guy that calls games for them. And they, they were mad about him putting up like a, a tweet about like their record. Compared to last year to other years, it was like bizarre. But that ownership group has been so bad. It was, hey, if they just get a good owner in there, they can start like competing for titles and they're loaded with young talent. And right away, they get the new owner and they say, hey, let's go trade for, I don't know, it's top 15 starter in Major League Baseball. I mean, he's been better than that most years, not last year, but he's a top 15 starter in the game. And that's basically they have the talent. Now they're being aggressive. So That's another team you got to worry about going forward in this division.
3: You know and presumably their their opening day starter uh whereas the red sox projected opening day starter gave up 41 home runs last year and i i didn't really clock this until i looked you know uh, on at his stats lucas giolito this is really hard to do he gave up double digit home runs for three different teams last year it's i don't know it's never been done guaranteed never been done in competition. So, you know, I think the Sox are going to score some runs the the lineup should be stronger, um, but a uh, lot, of, lot of 10-8 losses coming our way, I'm afraid.
1: Yeah, he had some real issues with his fastball last year. and Not this an start- important pitch. <laughs> no, not at all. But my hope is I have this sort of trust with the pitching department now that Breslow came in and look, I would like everybody else, I wanted them to go out and get another starter. I don't know why. Jordan Montgomery's just sitting here hanging out in Boston, and he hasn't been signed by the Red Sox, which is just kind of disturbing because this doesn't hurt your long-term future in terms of giving up prospects or anything along those lines. He's there for you to sign him. He shouldn't want to come here, but he's in a unique situation, right? You think about it. He's a guy that just won a World Series. He probably would like to play for a contender, but he's like, hey, I'd kind of like to do this Red Sox thing, and the Red Sox just haven't signed him. But in terms of the pitching, like, I know they have been really impressed with Andrew Bailey, some of the stuff they have been working on down there. So, like, the hope is, I hope, that they can get Giolito's fastball, right? Because if they eat... And the one thing you can say about Giolito, he's at least going to eat up innings, which is something that the Red Sox couldn't do last year. They're one and of the worst
3: teams. And baseballs. He's going to go through a lot of innings and a lot of baseballs They'll as they as they land on Williams' way. Yeah, so...
1: the. the but I when I look at it now, like, just with this team, like, you don't have to do anything dramatic in terms of just addressing the one thing you needed, which was a starting pitcher. Now, I would argue they needed a right-handed bat, too. Like, that should have been something. Teoscar Hernandez goes to the Dodgers, and Soler is off the board. He goes to the Giants. So it's like, these are not things that are going to handicap your future going forward, and they didn't do either one of those. And that, to me, is sort of the aggravating part of this offseason, But I do see some guys where I'm like, Devers, I I believe Story's going to have a bounce back year. I was talking about that the other day, and I believe Tristan Casas is going to be an absolute star. So I could see a version of this team where they have a good lineup, but then they're going to be midway through the season and say, hey, we're short in terms of the starting rotation. And that's the aggravating part, because I do think this is something that could be easily fixed. Now, if they end up going out there and getting somebody before the season starts, I'll say, I'll be thankful. I'll say I was an idiot for saying they weren't going to get a guy, but it doesn't feel like they're really in the market for starting pitching right now.
3: Well, I mean, just imagine, just just think of all five starters uh, and going up against Juan Soto with runners on first and second in Yankee Stadium. Like, it's it's a bad formula. I know it's like, it's not like we're close enough that there's just, we're one piece away. So it's a weird kind of calculus where it's like, What is it, you know, what is it going to take to go from 78 wins to 85, you know, or 88? But uh, I so I, I think they'll be better for sure. But I don't think I don't think we're going to be buyers at the deadline. Do you?
1: I hope, but I don't think so either, because I just don't feel like they're it based on where this division is at with what Toronto has with the Rays are always going to be good with what's going on with Baltimore that we just talked about. And the Yankees are, as you mentioned off the top, they're all, they're they're back in. So I just don't see it in terms of this team. The one way they could do it is just if this lineup all comes together. Because Yoshida, I was looking through this today. So Yoshida in the first half last year hit 316, sixth in baseball. Second half, he hit 254, 78th in baseball. He just completely fell off a cliff in the second half of the season. So I could see Yoshida doing what he did in the first half not saying hit 316 for the season but being north of 300 for the entire season first half second half they're going to get him off his feet thankfully he's not going to be playing in the outfield this year and now he's used to playing in the states. so I think that that's somebody that could bounce back I talked about it the other day in terms of I think Story's going to have a good year and the one other guy where Rafi I came away last year like disappointed with his season mainly because of his defense when you get that type of contract. I thought it was unprofessional the way that he defended last year. There's really no excuse for how bad he was defensively because it's not the Oshita thing is he doesn't have the ability when Ref good enough to be an average third baseman. He can't be the worst third baseman in Major League Baseball, right? I mean, I don't think we're asking too much, but one of the things like with his numbers. So July through the end of the season, 316 plate appearances, 909 OPS. He had number one in hard hit rate, 57.7 percent. Balls off the bat, 95 plus. Start of the season through the end of June, he was 13th in hard hit rate. So he had a good hard hit rate, but a 797 OPS, which was 59th. So Rafi in the first half last year actually got some bad luck. Like I started to go through this and try to figure out if there was something there. Like sometimes he'll he'll get in these stretches or hits the ball on the ground a lot. That wasn't the case. Like the launch angle was pretty much the same in the first half and the second half or when I mapped this out from... Uh, basically the start of July. So like with those guys, with Rafi, I believe it's going to be more consistent than he was last year. Yoshida is now adjusted. Story's actually healthy. So Story's like could completely change what this team does. Like if Story can get back to what he was in 2021, which is like 24 home runs. And then the last guy is Casas. So if you have those five guys, like that could be a pretty dangerous offense.
3: What do you, uh, I agree. And obviously, one thing I was, I was actually, you are obliged to know everything and to know everything until the bitter final day of the season. That's your job. As a fan, I know a lot early. And then as we fade, I start to, my attention starts to fade. I was shocked by Yoshida's final stats. I just kind of like stopped paying attention when he stopped hitting and so by that, I was like wow this ops is not impressive but i think you're right that misjudging fly balls is exhausting and his he lost his legs <laughs> taking terrible routes to to fly, to routine fly balls so hopefully not having to to play the outfield will help him uh, offensively what do you where's your ceiling what's your guess i know we don't have a huge sample size but uh, I saw a lot of really good William Abreu at bats in the it, you know it, it down the stretch that got me excited. And you're already talking about the depth of the lineup. If if you add that name, it gets the lineup gets very long. If you think he's for real,
1: yeah, I love Abreu, and we'll see. Like, gotta see a, a longer sample size of him against left-handed pitching. But I love him because he his profile is, and I'm not saying he has the power of. Casas, but it's a similar profile. Like He will not swing at pitches out of the strike zone. He's very good when it comes to that. And that's something that uh, Casas has too. And I do feel like going back to the last time they made the playoffs, in 2021, Schwarber completely changed the lineup when he came over. Like you look at the team's walk rate after he was traded, it went through the roof. They weren't walking. And Cora referenced it multiple times. He's a different type of at-bat. You already have one of those guys in Casas. I was surprised that Yoshida didn't walk much. He's a great bats ball guy, but he didn't walk much. And his profile was a guy that will take walks. It didn't happen last season. Maybe that changes. Rafi got more patient as the season went on and took more walks. So if you can add another guy like that with a I just think that's really difficult on teams when you have multiple guys. Like think it back to Mookie. Like Mookie wouldn't Mookie doesn't swing at pitches out of the zone either. Mookie walks a ton, right? Like those tough, those type Pedroya, when they had Pedroia for so long, Pedroia was awesome in terms of not chasing pitches. And he just he it's very rare to see Pedroia whiff. Like he just does, doesn't miss, right? So
3: no, Pedroia. But your memory, whenever Pedroia would swing and miss, you could see how surprised he was. He, he would be like, "What? Yeah. What happened?"
1: Right. Very. Yeah. Rare. He, yeah. He was a great. Like he was a great bat to ball guy. So yeah, I think you could do it. The other like. Grissom's going to be interesting because he doesn't have a ton of major league at bats. And I was going through some of the stuff on him. Like he's hit fastballs really well at the major league level. Basically hasn't hit anything else, but he's a, he's a good athlete. He's a big guy. He's six And I think like, I talked to somebody in Atlanta about this when they, when um, Belichick was up for the job there in Atlanta. And I just asked him about the sale trade and basically Grissom, it wasn't like the Braves didn't think he was good. It was, he's just blocked. The team is so stacked. He has nowhere to play. So I'm interested that the, the one other thing is Tyler O'Neill. I just, I, I just don't know if he's going to be healthy. I mean, the past two years, the guy's been dealing with injuries. You go back to 2021, he's hitting a ton of home runs. I just, you sometimes you have these uh, guys that just get injured all the time. And it feels like Tyler O'Neal, I understand the idea of bringing him in. Like I said at the beginning, they needed a right-handed power bat. I just would like somebody that actually has been a little bit more consistent than Tyler O'Neill, And that's why I do wonder like if they add somebody at the end of this, like when when we get closer to the season,
3: and and you know I was that was another guy where I was momentarily excited because I remember I'm remembering the probably 2021, and it's one thing if a guy has trouble staying on the field, but every time he gets on the field, he mashes. But I think both the last two years are sub 800 OPSs. So I, I it, you're getting a guy who's fragile, but when he plays, he's average. Terrific. Yeah. They, they, this was all going down, you know. It's like the 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 sum the winter of of Soto and Shohei, and you know I've been joking with with Simmons and the gang about uh, the Tyler O'Neill era. You know, I, I talked to my buddy. So my lawyer has two Dodger seats, you know, in the Lexus dugout suite. You know, the right behind home plate, and like you know, he's he's Jordan Peele's lawyer. He's done very well for himself, and uh, those. Seats are seventy thousand dollars a year. Those seats now are one hundred and forty thousand dollars a year because of the Shohei effect. And I had another buddy who was explaining to me all the ways they're already paying off the Shohei deal. Like the merchandise, obviously, is incredible. And so, living in Los Angeles and loving the Red Sox, and 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 knowing that the Red Sox were, you know, became. This very aggressive, very progressive, intelligent championship organization and then living in L.A. and just watching the Dodgers just go above and beyond. I mean, this obviously this winter is the most bananas, you know, just just quietly adding Glasnow and Yamamoto in the shadow of Otani while you already have. You know, you have the Red Sox best player, you have the Braves best player, you know, you have these MVPs. So it's, it's like, it's, I think it adds a little salt to the wound to live here and, and be watching your beloved team from back home really not compete uh, on that level. Whereas, you know, there was, there was certainly a time uh, where we, we would be all in on, on the, on the big guys. And I know that, that there's, there's an argument about those contracts, but, Shohei is just different because of the revenue he generates I, I you know I mean, I, we weren't in it obviously, but it was just I don't know it was just sad watching those those two names you know go to two to the two big market teams while we signed Tyler O'Neill.
1: Yeah, it's crazy too. Like, they traded for Tyler Glass now, too. And it's like, <laughs> like you can forget about that because of the Yamamoto signing and the Otani sign. It's like, oh, they got Glass now, too. Like, that guy's a stud when he's right. It's, when he's healthy, like, he's awesome. And it's like, how did they get all three of these guys in the same offseason? A couple of years ago, of course, the heartbreaker with Mookie. And Last year when they came to Fenway, like, the Dodgers fans took over. There were so many Dodgers fans. And look, the Red Sox at that point, th- th- that was only relevant because Mookie was coming back. And it was an Apple TV game, too. People were like, like, oh, where can I watch the Mookie game? Like, people didn't know, like, it was on Apple TV that Friday night, which is a bizarre thing that Major League Baseball has. But anyway, it's like, I look at it with Mookie. Is he, like, is was he the guy and is now Otani the guy? Like, was Mookie a megastar there?
3: Of course. I mean, he's, so, I mean, obviously... Mookie the player is still Mookie the player but what you're getting with Mookie is this this human being that is just so incredible. He's like a mythical figure. He's such a great guy. He's such a great teammate. You know, everybody loves him. He does everything well. Um hey, our shortstop's hurt. No worries. Just get the right fielder. Just get the gold glove right fielder to play shortstop. Like he's like um he really is like a storybook creation, you know, out of a um you know, a ring Lardner story. Like he's like, he's made up, you know, he's, he's yeah. there there, are no, there aren't any five tool players who uh, can, can play right field, second base and shortstop. It's just, it's, it's unheard of. And then you add in, you know, nicest guy that's ever been in a locker room. So of course, you know, Dodger fans are out of their minds. Now the crazy thing, and this year is really going it, to it be, be even nuttier. It's like, you know they they only they only won the one title in front of no fans. Very yeah. interesting that the Lakers and Dodgers uh, both 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 won sort of bubble championships. Um, but this year it it's gonna you know obviously in a short series I could see Chris Sale and the Braves beating the Dodgers, but uh, anything less than a, than a title. Uh, which has been the standard for the Dodgers for quite a few years is going to be devastating. But this year, it it will just obliterate them if they don't if they don't win at all. What more could they have done?
1: Yeah. And for the Red
3: Sox, what less could we have done?
1: (laughs) I know. Well, even even the manager doesn't have an extension, right? Like it's a bizarre situation. How? He could be managing the Dodgers if Dave Roberts has a bad postseason. And I know like you'd have to get over the whole thing with the Astros if you were the Dodgers. But the Dodgers, that was Alex Cora's first team. I do think it's a fascinating story where Cora at the beginning of spring training just said he didn't want to talk about it. But it's weird. I mean, Craig Council did him a favor. Like we've never really had this in Major League Baseball, right? I mean, we really don't see it in sports where there's like a coach just like, hey, I'm going to coach or manage till the end of my contract and then we'll see where we're at and that's exactly what he did so that's that's another thing where you look at it and if like they're competitive say at the trading deadline and hypothetically they have a chance to make a move and you don't do anything I mean Core is probably going to leave no matter what at this point based on the contract and based on what's going to be out there on the market for him I mean that would be my guess is that after the season he gets a job with a team that's like in it to win it right now, but if imagine what would happen if Cora, who is the manager waiting to be a free agent, and his team's like, say, a couple games out of the wildcard race, and they do nothing at the training deadline, when we talked about the rotation, right? That's the biggest issue with the team. When you think about it, it's Bayo, it's Giolito, and I like Bayo. He's going to figure something out against lefties, and hopefully Bailey can get him right there. But then it's going to be Pavetta, who actually quietly had like an outstanding season last year, and then you got to figure out it's going to be Crawford, I would say. And then is it Winkowski? I want Whitlock and Hoke in the bullpen. So maybe Winkowski is that fifth guy. So the hypothetical here is like, if you're in it, it's not going to be because you're pitching. It's going to be because of your lineup. Would they actually make a move? And if they don't, I mean, I think there's been issues at the training deadline the past couple of years. If they don't make a move like this. And the one time he like a couple of years ago when he tried to do both, he ended up Paying the te- like, they were a CBT team, and they were the worst team in baseball. It's just bizarre how they handled the training deadline. But I think the whole Cora dynamic is going to be fascinating.
3: I mean, Cora knows it's funny. You you sign an extension when you want that job security as a player because you know, and obviously we we suffered through it with Sale. You get that guaranteed money. It doesn't matter uh, how many injuries you have. That that check arrives no matter what. Cora knows he's not going to get hurt this year. Cora knows he's not going to suffer a debilitating injury. Uh, so he he really does hold all the cards because I think he's established himself as a you know rightfully in demand manager, and so he knows his value. He's betting on himself. He knows he's not going to tear a rotator cuff this year. I think it's smart, and and uh, count me in, in the many many fans who love that guy. And we'd be very sad to lose him and, and fully expect to the way things have been going.
1: Yeah, I just hope that they're relevant when we get into the training deadline, we get into August, that it's a product that we at least want to watch for the rest of the season. Because last year was just, it was really tough. Right after the Mookie series, where Mookie comes in here, I think he had seven hits in three games, something along those lines. I'm trying to remember back to the exact numbers, but they were. And he had a ridiculous. He hit, didn't
3: he hit a laser beam to dead center for an out? He that could would, have. That would have won a, another game.
1: Yes. Yes, he did. You're right. You're right about that. I remember Bill talking about on his pod, too, that like in that series, like Mookie came from right field and went to second base. It's like this could have been so cool if he was like doing this as a member of the Red Sox, right? It's like this one of the most unique players. And out of all the guys like to give a long-term contract to, like you gave one to Rafi, who is not in the best shape. And you think about like the guy that is going to age well, it's Mookie. The guy's in fantastic shape. He's one of the best athletes in the entire sport. So it's just, it's a weird situation. But I, I think what's going to happen is, I hope, my my prediction is they're going to be relevant and then they're going to fall out like when we get closer to September because I do think there's a lot of talent I just I worry about the pitching most of all but I, I do think this lineup is going to be really good even if they didn't do a ton to upgrade the team I do think they're I this is not, not a big achievement but they're going to be significantly more entertaining than last year and the other thing is they're not going to be the worst defensive team in baseball right because story I mean he like the, the contract's been bad so far, but he's healthy and he is an elite defender. He's one of the best defenders in the sport. You'll have an, a guy that's playing second base every day in Grissom, and those guys in the corners. The, that's going to be a question mark with um, when we're talking about oh, Casas. He's got to be better defensively. I think he will. And then Rafi's just going to be average, and we'll see if he can do that. But you do have some a uh, big thing is hey, you're not going to have a terrible left fielder like. Yoshida's out of the equation in terms of playing in the outfield so I do think the defense is going to be a lot better and I do think that sort of flew under the radar last year like we talked about it a lot it was like these their defense was like legitimately losing them games PK oh, yeah. couldn't throw the ball to first base remember that it was like their, their defense was it's like one of the like historically like some of the analytical numbers one of the worst defenses ever
3: no, I didn't. You know, obviously, didn't know Yosh- Yoshida was such a butcher until you 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 start seeing the the numbers and you realize he's like a Schwarber level left fielder. It just was brutal. Um, now, speaking of good contracts and bad contracts, I I was uh, in the don't don't give Bogarts a huge deal camp. You know, and and I I I'm friends with Padre fans out here, and it's like. million for a second baseman is not a good contract. And there, you know, so it's like, you know, when you sign a deal like that, you know, when you sign a player to a long deal like that, you're like, okay, we know this deal is going to be terrible for the back end of the contract. The question is, when does it start being terrible? And I would argue it already has. So that's, that was one bullet dodged. You know, I, I obviously agree on, on the Mookie Devers decision, it's like, well, go, go with the guy who's, you know, n- never going to be fat, frankly, <laughs> and, yeah. uh, but we didn't, but at least we didn't give a, a, a soon to be second baseman, probably soon to be third baseman. Um, you know, just didn't have that much power. So I, I, w- there was no way that, that, you know, anybody should have matched that insane offer. And I'm glad we didn't. Um, And I, yeah, now I like the team as it sets up every day. And the crazy thing is Cutter Crawford's whip was like 1.11. Like he's, you know, that's our fourth starter and Pavetta, I think his whip ended up like 1.08. And these, those are legitimate major league starter numbers. Like that's a, that's a good starter. I don't, and maybe to your point about the defense, maybe those numbers will start manifesting in wins more regularly if we catch the ball. Okay. Now, listen, I know I'm not, (laughs) I'm hijacking your podcast, but instead of talking about the team whose ceiling is probably third place, let's talk about our team whose ceiling is a championship banner. Can we, can we pivot?
1: Yeah, we can pivot to the
3: Boston Celtics. College basketball season
1: is heating up and FanDuel wants you to join in on the action. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets when your first $5 bet wins. That's $150 extra bucks to bet anything from point spreads to money line to who's going to win it all. And one of the games I'm looking at, Big Monday, huge game in college basketball. Two top 10 teams play as Iowa State goes to Houston Houston is a really good team. I watched them on Saturday. They absolutely ran Texas out of the gym. Unbelievable defense. Their offense is starting to come around, too. I like Houston to win that game at home. It's going to be a very entertaining one, so I'll take the Cougars in that game. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to join. The app is easy to use. When you win, you'll get paid instantly. So visit FanDuel.com and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21-plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit the slash rg First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable. Bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Yeah, well, I don't know. Is is Jalen? Is this going to be like a home run derby scenario where some guys can't hit after they do the home run derby? Jalen after the dunk contest last night. I don't know what's gonna what's going on there. I think. You know, I, I'm not a huge, like, I grew up, the dunk contest was fun. Like, I one of the first ones I remember was, like, Kobe was in it when I was, like, really young. And it was like, oh, this is cool. Like, and Stars did it for years, and it hasn't been the case. I mean, you got a guy in the G League that has now won it two years in a row. He played in the Rising Stars game, I guess, on Friday night. He's not even in the NBA, but apparently he's a rising star. But I, I thought it was weird that Jalen was at the dunk contest, quite frankly. I mean, I don't hold it against him, but I hope there's not, like, a, a home run derby thing.
3: Well, it's it's funny that you use the word weird because as, you know, as guys who rooted for, for Brajan Rondo for a long time, you know, we have lovable weirdos and, and that's, that's actually interesting. And I love Jalen Brown so much uh, as a person and as a personality and such a thoughtful guy. And I think about this all the time. Um, if You know, if you're if you had a lot of interests outside basketball, I mean, you, your only interest is outside basketball or baseball, football and hockey. But imagine you were a well-rounded guy. Okay, imagine you were a thoughtful, (laughs) well-rounded guy. And they said you got three hundred four million dollars guaranteed. Like, hey, Brian, three hundred four million dollars. You you're never going to worry about money, your kids, their kids, like generational wealth. You know, you're set for life. I just understand why, when he's the weak side defender, he falls asleep, and his guy cuts back door and gets a dunk because he's actually thinking about the world and social justice and progress. And like, we want cyborgs like Tom Brady. We want Tom Brady to have all the money in the world and still want to watch film. When you know, and you know, when it's time to put the kids to bed, he's like, "No, can do. I got to watch game film." Like and so I do think Jalen Brown. Like we we really wish he was a better free throw shooter. We obviously wish he was a better ball handler. We wish he. We, we sometimes he he locks in on defense and you're like there he is. There's the yeah. that you don't want guarding you. And then other times he's taking a nap. And I just think it has to do with his complexity as a person. It, you know, informs Tom Brady not complex. You know, is awesome. <laughs> Only cares about football. No no hobbies. And so, uh, you know, the, the the text I have sent to the Celtics thread more than any other text is very short. It's 304 with an M and a dollar sign in front of it. I just sent the $304 million text over and over again because obviously you'd much rather Jalen uh, have a scheduled rest game than Derek White. I mean, it's just yeah. clear. it's just clear that that Derek White is more indispensable than the most expensive guy in the league, which is crazy. Which is crazy. So you know, Jalen will have nice stretches where he can get that turnaround. He can get his own shot. Um, it's it's not you know money in the bank, but like high screen roll. You'd much rather someone was coming and setting a pick for for Derek White. I mean. Yeah, I'm sure you know all the actual numbers, but just the eyeball test is is how much more effective. I mean, Derek White is a better offensive player and defensive player than Jalen Brown. I don't know if you remember the bubble. Jalen was guarding the Heat one through five. Like he'd get switched on to Bam in the high post and Bam couldn't do anything. It was crazy. And he, he just... You see that lockdown defender less and less. Correct me if I'm wrong with your stats.
1: No, I agree. I definitely agree. The off-ball stuff is infuriating at times where it's just like, oh, the guy just cut behind him. He actually had a uh, one game. It was against the Rockets where it actually happened. Like he got back cut by Jabari Smith. And then all of a sudden he he ends up getting the block anyway because he's just that athletic and he's just that talented that he could make up for. But yeah, it happens sometimes at inopportune times. And I do agree that... When he locks in, he, he's a really good one-on-one defender. Remember when he took on Harden for a good portion of that Philly series after Harden was—he was too big for the guards. Like, he was too big for Marcus. He was too big for Derek White. Jalen did a really good job on James Harden. And he's done it a couple times this year when he's taken on the opponent's best player, as has Tatum, but I completely agree with you. I mean, Derek White— His him as a pick and roll ball handler, he's been more efficient than Jamal Murray and Damian Lillard, who are, you know, they're known as great pick and roll guys. And Derek White's been better than those guys. So it's it's crazy to look at it like that and just see how efficient he's been. And that to me, Hench, is sort of like the biggest question with this team. Right. Because I went through sort of some of the losses against good teams, because if you look at the Celtics clutch numbers, their clutch numbers overall are good. But a lot of those clutch games are against teams that aren't good. So I went through like the Minnesota loss, the overtime loss. They had an 80 offensive rating in overtime. The Warriors lost a 45.5 rating in terms of the overtime. The Nuggets fourth quarter, a 90 offensive rating. So to me, like, this is the interesting dynamic. We know that the reason Porzingis is here is because the Celtics, when they get into these big series, Golden State, of course, the biggest series in the finals, Miami last year, Miami two years ago when it went to seven games, their offense can get stale. And now they have more options, right? You mentioned Derek White. You also look at how efficient Christoph Porzingis is in the post, in screen and roll, pick and p- all this stuff he's great at, right? Him and Tatum are the only guys on the team to get to the free throw line, too. So he's easy offense. The question is going to be to me when they get in these games where there's five minutes left, it's a two-point game or it's a three-point game, tie game, whatever will they make the right decisions down the stretch? Because they have so many options on this team. I just hope they don't revert back to what we've seen in a couple of these games where it's like, oh, here's Jason Tatum on the right wing at the end of the game against Denver. It's like, you you, you can't be doing that now. Like you have too many options. And one of the things I pointed out, like I give Missoula credit for this. He's actually good after timeouts. The past two years, they've been first or second in after timeout possessions. Yet sometimes he just lets these guys play through it. So and look, the timeouts, it's like last year, that was a big talking point. But my whole point with it is like when they don't set up plays late in games, it's like these guys haven't haven't been great in these situations, right? It's not like you have great, great decision makers. So Derek White is a great decision maker. Porzingis is incredibly difficult to guard. And I'm not saying that you don't want Tatum to run a lot of plays late because you do. I mean, Tatum's improved immensely this year. He, he scores in the post very easily. His isolation numbers are significantly better than they've been in the past I just think that the number one question may can't be answered until the postseason to see how they sort of run their offense late in games when the game is close
3: yeah I mean I think you know Celtic fans know that in each series and hopefully there there are four of them the Celtics are gonna are gonna win two or three blowouts Yeah, and the question is in those tight games when like we tend to get tight I mean it's visible uh how, you know, do, you know, I mean, even, you know, even going back to the game seven that the Celtics won against the heat when Butler missed the three pointer two years ago, that was a collapse. They were up by 12, you know, they just run. I think what Simmons calls the toilet bowl offense and you can, you know, you talk about the, the uh, offensive efficiency rating. Like it's like, if you're, as you're watching every dribble, Tatum or Jalen takes, you know that rating is going down, right? So if you if you play 43 minutes of screen roll, ball movement, back cuts, high post, you know, like offense. That's why you're ahead late. You've done it, you've 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 run your action. And then for some reason, it's like, oh my God, now it's crunch time. I'm gonna dribble a lot and And obviously, you know, every every dribble Jalen Brown takes is like watching your child's first time on a bike. You're like, "Oh, oh, oh God, oh God, oh God." Like it's so nerve wracking. and <laughs> And then Tatum, you know, for whatever reason, it's like he doesn't make a ton of those shots. He just doesn't. You know, it's like there's not a big montage of of Tatum. Ripping people's hearts out, you know, he's made a few, you know, and and I think trending in the right direction, maybe. But the point is, it's like, don't go one on one. Don't play hero ball. Get a good shot with these with these five guys. Get a good shot for any of those guys. Like and it's like when you when you feel the tunnel vision of of JB and JT, you just feel we're less likely to score now because he knows he's going to take the shot kind of regardless of what they throw at him. Um, although I will say Tatum, he, his passing has been excellent uh, lately. He's really yeah. he's really moved the ball quickly. He's, he's really seeing the court well. So obviously of those two guys, you want the ball in Tatum's hands. But to your point, I really want it in Derek White's hands.
1: I know it's crazy how Derek White, when he makes a mistake, you're like, Surprise so what wait he he just threw that ball away. How did that happen? like he he rarely turns the ball over, especially in his fourth quarter numbers are through the roof. He's one of the most efficient fourth quarter players in the entire league, even like if you just look at his clutch stats they're 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 really good, so I wonder like do you think that's more of a coaching thing late in the game, or is that the players Tatum and Jalen have to realize that themselves that other guys should be getting more opportunities not to say they're not going to get their opportunities but Is Joe gonna have to be like in the postseason, late in games, more rigid and say, "Hey, like we're running this right now"? Because I do wonder that, like, because we don't see a lot of games where it's close. And Derek White, Derek White, rather is running a pick and roll with Porzingis. Like we 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 don't really see that in close games. We see it a lot throughout the game, but we don't really say, "Like, hey, it's crunch time; they're going to this."
3: Well, if the Celtics um, championship run. Depends on Joe Missoula laying down the law. We're we're effed, Brian. We're we're effed. You know, there's no there. I mean, look, he was so afraid of Marcus Smart, he just played him in crunch time when it went, no matter how statistically demonstrable it got that that was a mistake. And In fact, you know, it, it all starts to blend together. The all these these playoff losses and close misses and deep runs that don't end with a championship. But I was trying to remember who missed the shot that Derek White made the putback on. i I couldn't remember, and I'm like, I looked it up, and it was like they ran a play for Marcus Smart. The play was to like get Marcus Smart a turnaround jump shot. Like, what are we doing? You know, and it's like if you watch the inbounds play, it was clearly the play. like he's going to flash to the ball. And so i I would like to think. That that Joe Missoula knows knows the stats knows what you know and and would be able to say you know and, and it's not like that Tatum's not going to get a shot. It's not saying that Derek White right. and Kristaps Porzingis are going to decide this game. It's just saying like let the action happen and get the best shot we can, which very well may be an open wing three pointer by Jason Tatum. The other thing that um that I, I know you know the actual stats on, it's we just know, like, we shoot a lot of threes. It's the it's the current, it's the state of the game. Uh, it, it, you know, when we shoot over a certain percentage, we're unbeatable. We literally will not lose if we shoot over a certain percentage of threes. Um, but we also know when we have fourth free throw attempts midway through the fourth quarter, we're going to lose. Like, it's a weird thing. So I think, you know, yes, take, take open threes. Obviously the the open corner three best shot short of a dunk in basketball, but just get to the line Tatum, particularly if he's at eight free throws going into the fourth, like if he gets to 12, like it just, you know, we're going to win. And, and when we, fall into the trap of, of really leaning on the three. They're just nights. It's not there. It's just, they're just in. And so, and, and obviously those percentages tend to go down in the playoffs. Obviously Jalen's evaporating sub 20% against the heat last year. And Brogdon, I think was one for 16 in that series. Like if he can't lift his arm, he can't play, but you know that the numbers are going to go down in which case you have to be able to get to the line.
1: Yeah, and that unfortunately has hurt the Celtics in the past in terms of not getting to the free throw line. And it's really only two guys that can do it on this team. It's really only Tatum and Porzingis. Like Derek White really doesn't get to the free throw line. Not that it's a problem for him in particular. He's got that nice floater game. Like he's not driving into people a lot. And he's not like a guy that's going to seek out trying to draw fouls. Drew, which, by the way, now that you mention Marcus, it's crazy. Like, Drew is the fifth option on this team. He's shooting 44% from three. I think it's 11th in the NBA. And you have Marcus last year that took more threes and shot 33%. And Drew's like, he's the perfect fifth guy for this team. He just, he plays great defense. And he's the best corner three-point shooter in the league. And he's just, he's an outstanding shooter. And you, he was overtaxed in Milwaukee last year in the playoffs. Where it's like, he's the second best player. Like, and he had to do all the ball handling on this team. He's He's in a... Perfect role. But yeah, the, the following stuff, I do wonder like if it's going to tick up in the postseason, like when we get to the postseason, is Tatum, is Tatum going to have that mentality to say, hey, like our offense is kind of grimy right now. We're not hitting shots. I'm going to get to the basket. And not that we've seen that in the past, but I do wonder like Tatum, it feels like every year he kind of takes like a step. And I feel like the biggest step he's taken this year is you mentioned the passing and the playmaking it just feels like he has a better feel for the game than he's had in previous seasons where it's like like the other game when he he was getting doubled a ton by the nets and he just realized okay i gotta get rid of this ball quick and he had like four assists really early in that game but he also had those hockey assists right where it's like okay he throws the ball to the roller and the roller is just kicking it to the guy in the corner for a wide open three so i do think like this is Obviously, you get better every year, but I do think that's like the biggest thing with him this year. I do think it feels a lot better than it's been previously.
3: And he's also finishing better when he does go to the basket. You know, um, I mean, he's had a many just, he gets his shoulder past the guy and you're like, oh, I think he's going to get to the rim. And then he just flushes it violently. You're like, he seems bigger and stronger when he gets to the rim. You know, um, two years ago, that run to the finals, he had a lot of misses around the basket where you're like, that ultimately wasn't a great shot. Like that was a pretty hard, there were almost like fadeaway layups. And now I feel like he's more straight line to the rim where you have to foul him or get dunked on. And, and, uh so, yeah, I, I think it, it, that's a, a place where the eyeball test and the stat line match, which is he's, you know, he's maturing as he, as, as one does at his age, Um, now let me ask you about this because Simmons, you know, my source, he said, you know, when the Xavier Tillman thing came through, like he was immediately out of his mind. So like, I don't ask any questions when the guru goes, this was a great acquisition. I didn't really even do a deep dive. I was like, all right, well, you know, Bill's down, I'm down. Um, and I have, you know, I, I, I've been worried about, you know, Luke Cornette minutes in the playoffs. So, so. I was like, "Oh great. Well, problem solved." This is bizarre. And I, you know, again, when you look at like st- statistics, you're like, "Well, how would this possibly happen?" Tillman is shooting 41% from the floor, 23% from 3, and 42% from the line. Like I was like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa bill, 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 look at this part." Like it's not my grandmother played women's basketball when it was like lacrosse. You had three women defending and three women on offense. Like Tillman's going to be on the offensive end too when we need him to be getting stops in the playoffs on defense and these offensive numbers. Last year, he shot over 60% from the floor and the free throw percentage has just fallen down an elevator shaft. It's inexplicable. Like, I don't know, like guys – Generally shoot the same, roughly the same percentage. So I I'm not, I know we're not counting on Tillman um, to score, but I found those numbers, especially in the in the era of 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 Tillman. You know what? You know what? If if he could be so bad offensively that it doesn't matter how much he gives us on defense.
1: Yeah, those numbers are jarring. And I remember the day they traded him looking at that stuff. But then I went back and I looked at what he did. And I remember the series against the Lakers last year in the first round when they had the whole Dylan Brooks situation. And he was good on Anthony Davis. Like, he actually gave him trouble. So I think maybe the field goal—the free throw shooting is just weird. But the field goal percentage, I want to think that some of that has to do with who he's playing with, right? Because if you go back to last year— they would have John ja Morant and Desmond Bain on the floor with him, right? So it's like, okay, most of his shot attempts, it's like at the rim. Like he's getting these easy opportunities, layups, and whatnot. And I do think maybe this year, like with the team that he was playing with, he's taking more difficult shots, and maybe he was overtaxed early in the season. And that's sort of what attributed that. I do I am like a little concerned. We still haven't seen him yet. He's been dealing with like an injury since he was traded from memphis and by I, the way i've seen- had
3: two knee surgeries someone who's had surgery on both knees for soccer injuries and both of my surgeries um would would fall into the minor category because they're meniscus not acl i was never the same like i, I mean like even like you know i think we were you know with time lord you know they'd be like hey, they're gonna go in and clean it up they're just going to go in and clean it up. He'll be back. And you're like, you can't carve into a knee that many times and and not have diminished. So whenever so when I see that he's dealing with a minor knee issue, I'm like, oh, boy, I don't think there are any of those. I get I I'm like you get a little worried. Um, but uh, but but he doesn't you know, he doesn't have to play for he doesn't have to play a lot of games for us. He just has to play about twenty three.
1: Yeah, and I do think the good thing about him is he's a guy that you can throw on Giannis when you're building that wall. Like he's got the frame, and they like Grant Williams. I mean, obviously was terrible in Dallas, but he is somebody that could actually help Al Horford when Al wasn't on the court. You could say, "Hey, Grant, go, go, uh, fight with Giannis for a little bit." I do think you can do that with Tillman. They didn't have really a guy like that. All right, Hench. Before we let you go, will Bill Belichick be coaching in 2025? Because he's not coaching in 2024.
3: Um. I doubt it, I doubt it i i mean i I really i it, it see i and I don't really understand you you said you had a buddy in Atlanta and you got some inside dope there, but like you know w- w- why if if not if not with all the openings this year, what would change next year? like it just seems a like a a guy who's been sitting on the shelf as the game evolves another year i I can't see hit you know him being the right answer next year, if you thought he wasn't the right answer this year. Um, you know, it bums me out a little bit, the, obviously the way it ended in, in Foxborough. I love him. I'm not, you know, the, these, these was it Brady or was it Belichick idiots? I just am like, wow. Talk about not being able to hold two things in your mind at one time. It, every, every Everything has to be completely binary one or the other. It's like, obviously it was an incredible symbiosis that never would have occurred if Belichick wasn't the greatest coach in the history of organized sports, because no other coach would have would have told the expensive number one overall pick to grab a clipboard. I'm, I'm going with with the 199th. That was pure Belichick, um, and so uh, I, I love the guy. I mean, if he broke the record in Atlanta, I don't know. You know, uh, you know, I still get people get mad at me for crying when Ray Bork raised the cup in Colorado, like I was supposed to disown the guy but it, it would have been a little weird uh see, seeing belichick breaking the record somewhere else um he's got nothing left to prove to, to me or anyone else you know the 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 greatest coach in the hardest sport sport to coach which makes him the greatest coach of all time
1: yeah i i remember like didn't ray bork i mean i was really young when this happened didn't they have a parade for him Locally, like, didn't he bring the cup back? Didn't of he have course, like a here? Of
3: course, like that as it should be. You know, I mean, a guy just you know toils for twenty years. Uh, you know, you don't turn your back on him because he wins for someone else. I mean, I was so happy for him. Obviously, um, it would have been a little weirder, you know, watching Belichick go eight and nine until he broke the record. I don't know. That, that, yeah, that would have been weird. But um, and
1: I do think too, like. You mentioned he didn't, with all the job openings, he didn't get one. And Dallas or Buffalo or Philly, all three of those teams easily could have moved on from their coach to, to hire Bill, right? They could have said, hey, we're firing our coach, and the reason is we're going to get Belichick, and Belichick's going to be the guy that gets us over the top, right, on a bunch of teams that have good rosters. It didn't happen. And now when you go into the next cycle, Mike is going to be there, okay? I, I still don't know how Mike Vrabel didn't get a job, and... Like Ben Johnson, everybody said Ben Johnson's going to get a job. He had that whole weird thing with the Washington situation. So you're going to have those two guys on the market, too, that are going to be more intriguing candidates, I would say, next year.
3: Okay, real quick, and then I got to go. Drake May or Jaden Daniels?
1: I, I, I like Daniels a lot. Because I think the him in the run game is something like the Patriots, they still don't have receivers. Like, it's kind of important, right? And I like Douglas, and we'll see what they do in free agency. But I like the element of a quarterback run game. And I, I was saying this the other day. I think we've never really had that type of running quarterback before. Like, you know, not to say he's Lamar Jackson, but like Josh Allen, where Josh Allen, like, is involved in the quarterback run game. We had the Cam Newton year, but... He couldn't throw. We really only had the quarterback runner. We didn't have the quarterback passer, which is kind of important. So I'm interested in Daniels. How about All you? Right.
3: You go You go find a Steve Grogan clip reel. Educate yourself, young man. Uh, we <laughs> did have that running quarterback. Um, I I will say this. I Simmons and I did a deep dive on Drake May, and I was like, the Patriots are the only team that when they work a guy out, they just have to th- have him throwing exclusively to receivers who never get open. Like, here's your test if you're going to be a quarterback in New England. No one's ever going to be open. Well, gosh, coach, that's going to make it kind of hard. Yeah, we don't believe in it. It's an organization <laughs> philosophy. It would be unfair to have receivers that are good enough to get open. All right, brother. I got a- it. Right, uh, I'll check in with you before the All-Star break. Uh, ho- hopefully, we're, we're still in it.
1: All right, Henge. Thanks so much, man.
2: This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness.
1: Welcome back into Off the pike. Great stuff there from Hench. I always enjoy chatting socks and Celtics with Hench. That was a ton of fun. I, I'm getting excited for baseball season, which I know you're probably out there thinking, Brian, you're an idiot. The team's not going to be that good. I'm excited. Like, I'm trying to talk myself into this lineup this season for the Red Sox because I want an interesting season. All right. We bring in now producer extraordinaire, Jamie McClellan. Jamie, how are you, man? I'm
0: good, Brian. I'm excited as well. You never know. Crazier things have happened.
1: Yeah. By the way, where are you recording from today, man? You look like you're in like a like some sort of mansion or something. Your background like to, to describe yeah. it to the people. Jamie's got like this huge fireplace behind him. It's like looks like stones. Where are you, dude? This is like
0: somewhere along the coast of California. No, I'm, okay. I'm in uh, Santa Barbara right now. But uh, wow, man, I, it's, it's not bad. But um, we got a storm, an atmospheric river bearing down on us. So. Oh, really? Stay dry. Yeah.
1: Stay safe, man. Yeah, that you. was scary what was that two
0: weeks ago a week and a half ago i mean look not to belittle the thing but coming from new england they call these storms it's just basically rains for a day or two it's no big deal
1: gotcha yeah i lived in houston for five years and they used to get flash flooding all the time i was yeah. actually there during there was a memorial day flood that was horrible and then there was uh i was there for hurricane harvey that was scary oh it uh, legit
0: I mean, look, yeah. there, are, there are mudslides. I don't mean to say that nothing bad happens. But in terms of, it's not like a nor'easter in terms of how it feels.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. But yeah, that's some pretty nice digs there, man. Uh, oh, by the way, I'm watching the Bruins on Saturday. Mm-hmm. This is kind of getting concerning. They have one win since the All-Star break. That loss yeah. against the, I don't know how they lost that game to the Kings. They up twice in the third period, giving away leads. And then they're on the power play in overtime costly turnover by pasta and break away the other way and this team montgomery was pissed after the game where he's he was asked like if they're complacent and he's like well yeah. i don't really think we could be complacent because we're not playing well like he <laughs> if he's like if we're playing well you could be but we're not really you can't really say we're complacent so hopefully they get together i know it's like sort of the dog days of the season right yeah. now post all-star break but and most of the season has been really good but this has been a concerning stretch for the Bruins where Montgomery always talks about their structure. Their structure hasn't been right. So it's it's uncharacteristic to see them have this lead against the Kings and just give it away. That was a tough game to watch. But um, I wanted to let everybody know, Jamie, big thing <laughs> coming up. So Tuesdays, we're going to have Matt Hamachek on for the next five weeks, nice. which he is the director of the Dynasty documentary for the Patriots, which, by the way, is awesome. And I don't want to get too much into the details, right? Because we're going to talk about it a lot on Tuesday. But the first two episodes, of course, came out last Friday. And actually, Hench mentioned the Bloodsoe Brady thing. That was fascinating, right? Like, we yeah. remember it That was a, as a story, right? But it's like the way they go into, like, you come across, and I'll ask Matt about this, but, like, Drew Bloodso is such a empathetic, like, a symp- I have so much sympathy for the guy. Yeah,
0: in the like, hospital.
1: Yeah, like, you feel so bad for him. And remember when... Drew came on the pod like he talked about that so that and some of the like the footage they have of young Brady is crazy, yeah, like, that's crazy. like yeah living in that apartment it's crazy how much <laughs> like he looks so different you know what yeah. I mean like he drank beers and and stuff. Yeah, his face is full yeah you know it's like dude it's 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 crazy that he looks better at our oh, what's he now 46 right or yeah, yeah 45 like is his yeah he's 46 he looks better at 46 than he did at 22 or 23.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't want to get too much to do it because you'll talk with him. And right. check, yeah. I will yeah. say I did love the those those clips of Brady hanging out with like the linemen and yeah. just shooting pool at his house. Like, I, I'm glad they found that stuff. I really enjoyed that.
1: Yeah. And you know who's awesome in the first couple episodes? Ty Law. He's
0: yeah. Such a yeah. good
1: character, man. He's hilarious.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: he's, he's so funny. I got to ask Matt about him because he I have to imagine. And look, only the first two are out, but I have to imagine like Ty is one of the the funnest guys to interview right mm-hmm. like in terms of the documentary right like that must have just been fun because he's 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 out of his mind
0: yeah What's it's pretty amazing what, that he's so good to listen to and hall of famer like a nice combo of talent on the field and personality but there was some funny back and forth about whether or not he fleeced brady for the comments yeah and stuff.
1: yeah that, that was hilarious when they were talking about Ty Law was saying that brady fleeced him in It's crazy seeing that apartment, but, like, the the stories they were telling about Brady during that was awesome. I really enjoyed it. I can't wait to, like, the rest of the documentary is—I think it's awesome, man. It's such a great—like, the Patriots, there's so many good stories, like, in the dynasty. I think this is—it was an awesome idea, and I really like it.
0: I I tweeted this out, Brian, but it was strangely comforting watching it because me and you, I think we've both been a little nervous about uh, Mahomes, you know, catching up to Brady, but I was thinking— they're never going to compete with the drama of the Patriots dynasty. I mean, just even just the 2001 season beyond the perfect season, Spygate, Deflategate, et cetera. It's just in the suspension with Brady later. It's just, there's so much drama and it's so compelling. I mean, what did the Chiefs have to say for themselves? Even on the field and off the field, I just feel like this story of the six round pick coming in and Belichick benching the Drew Bledsoe, et cetera. It's just, it's, it's, it's hard to imagine that actually happened. And uh, I don't think anyone will be able to compete with that.
1: Yeah, the one thing that I I am interested in, and I want to talk to Matt about this, is just like Kraft, The way that Craft talks about Bill, I don't mm-hmm. want, I don't want to say like it feels like it like he doesn't. I don't know. It just felt weird. Like like how they talked about how he talked to Drew or whatever. Yeah, like, I don't know. The whole of the craft dynamic seems. And I know like this is like fresh, right? Like in terms of this is. Just a couple of years ago, like sure. the Brady thing, right? So when Brady decided to leave, but I don't know, it just seems like they're—I don't want to say they don't appreciate Bill, but it—it it does seem weird when he talks about Bill, doesn't it? Like it's—it's it's just I don't know. It's just in Belichick in the documentary, man, he is so like uptight. Even like you the way that his, him? He, yeah, even the way that his posture is—he's like you <laughs> yeah, know he's got well, the shirt and the tie and he's tie. got the suit. Yeah, like the tie looks like it's—I don't know. He just he. You could tell that i i mean i don't know we'll have to ask matt i feel like he was he's probably the toughest person to interview in this documentary because you just right. don't know what you, you're gonna he, like belichick will just like i like we've seen it with the media for years like someone will ask him a question he doesn't mind making shit awkward like he'll just stand there and not talk so i i don't know he did like his whole posture to me was like he felt uptight
0: his early press conferences in the 2000, 2001 seasons. It's, it's noticeable to me how much more like gregarious and friendly he is with the media than he was yeah. by the end. I mean, before he won six Super Bowls, he was smiling, messing around with the media. Then he's right. uh, changed a bit in that regard.
1: Yeah. So we'll talk to Matt Hammond Jack, about that. I can't wait to have him. I look Matt forward to it. Because they did an outstanding job with that documentary. Just, it, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. All right, Jamie. Good stuff, man. Thank you, Brad. All right. As always, make sure to get your voicemails in at 617-396-7172. Email your thoughts and questions to offthepike at gmail.com. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve 34 for producing this podcast, and we'll chat in a couple of days. Must be 21 plus in president select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call one eight hundred Gambler or visit FanDuel.com/rg in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Vermont, and Virginia. Call one eight hundred Next Step or text Next Step to five three three four two in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1800gambler.net in West Virginia or call one 800 522 Four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call eight hundred three two seven five zero five zero for twenty four seven support in Massachusetts. Or call one eight seven seven eight hope ny or text hope ny. In
2: this episode is brought to you
1: by State Farm.